One, don't go dark on social media when the crisis hits. That's the first place you should be messaging. And you can use social media to tell the media what it is they can expect of you. Hello and welcome to this edition of the FBI National Academy Associates Leadership APB podcast series. My name is Laura Masterton and I am the Director of Special Projects and Training Coordinator for the Association. It's a pleasure to have joining me today Julie Parker. Julie recently spoke about crisis communications at the Mississippi Chapter Retrainer and received many accolades from the members that were in attendance. We thought it would be a great idea for her to share her expertise in media relations with the entire FBI NAA membership. Julie, thank you for joining me today. Would you mind sharing a bit about your background with our membership? Certainly. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the FBI NAA. I've been a guest lecturer there since about 2012 and have gotten to know so many members of so many sessions. So it's truly an honor to be a part of this podcast. My career in journalism really started in the Washington, D.C. region. I spent 13 years there as a reporter and an anchor. The time frame when I was there spanned essentially from the the 9-11 terror attacks through the Beltway Sniper and beyond. And in between, I covered a whole host of local news matters, fires, homicides, water main breaks, fatal car crashes, you name it, teacher strikes, covered it all, and really got to hone my skills that I took from the newsroom and then later applied to my now career working as a small business owner focused on communications. And I got into the world of law enforcement media relations directly from my time in the newsroom. So in 2011, I finally gave in and relented to some pretty persistent chiefs over at the Prince George's County Police Department, and I decided to take a role as their director of their Media Relations Bureau. And I was promised it was a government job, and unlike the world of news, I would have holidays off and I'd get to spend more time with my family, and maybe that was the intention But I did wind up for the next five years working virtually every night, holiday, and weekend because I felt very passionate about getting this job done right. When I joined the Prince George's County Police Department in 2011, it was very unusual at that time to have journalists taking over the role of the public information officer or the director of a media relations bureau for a police department. So I felt very responsible for getting it right. And I probably worked more than I should have, but I think we did a really pretty remarkable turnaround in the perceptions of our police department as a result of all of that hard work. I spent five years there. And during that time, that's when I started coming down to Quantico and guest lecturing at the FBINA. I also started working with the Center for Homeland Defense and Security. That's part of the Naval Postgraduate School. And to, to this day, um, I go around the country to various jurisdictions and work with a team of subject matter experts and talk these jurisdictions through what kind of crisis could hit them and how prepared they are to deal with that 
from the perspective of my sphere, which is crisis communications, media relations, and social media. After spending five years at the PGPD and doing those other things on the side, I then went to the Fairfax County Police Department in Northern Virginia. I spent two years there helping them become a more transparent police department and gaining trust with within the media and the community following a very high-profile officer-involved shooting that they dealt with uh, prior to my arrival. After two years at the FCPD, I joined the International Association of Chiefs of Police as an employee. I was a part-time senior media advisor there and worked to help the association get uh, more prolific on social media and develop a closer relationship with the media. And then finally, in late February 2020, that was the time I decided to start my own public relations communications firm. And you might recall what happened in March of 2020. So as the world was shutting down, I was just starting my brand new business. And I have been very, very fortunate that it has been extremely busy ever since. And so I'm so thrilled to be here today to share some of my experiences with your awesome audience. And it's an absolute pleasure having you joining us today. I wanted to start out by asking you about your career as a reporter, asking the questions, and then you moved into your media relations position, answering the questions. How did that help you when you were faced with the difficult back against the wall type of situations? Well, my, my career as a reporter really just set me up beautifully for the world of law enforcement media relations because I knew what reporters would ask of my chief or a detective or of me as a spokesperson. So knowing what you'll be asked is half the battle. And thinking that through in advance and, and figuring out what the answers to those questions are, one, can you answer them? Two, do you risk jeopardizing an investigation if you answer them fully? And if so, that's fine. So what can you say? I always came at that job from the perspective of why can't we? If I, if I wanted to put out information and someone in the department said, no, we can't, my respectful response was always, why not? And I meant that truly. I wasn't being difficult. I meant I, I needed to understand what the answer was. And if the answer was something law enforcement related that I just didn't have the experience with yet, and you know, the head of homicide said, if you say that, only the suspect would know that information and you're going to tip him or her off, then I got it. But a lot of times what I heard was, you can't say that because we've never said that kind of thing before. And that's where I really actually enjoyed being able to convince, conjole, um, whatever the word is that you use, try to persuade the folks who didn't want to share the information because they were uncomfortable because that kind of thing hadn't been shared before, explaining how it could benefit the department and how people could start to see us in a different light simply by providing information. So I'll, I'll close that answer with saying the prep for an interview is a critical component of the interview. Whenever possible, never just say yes to an interview and then respond out front or wherever you do the interview 15 minutes later without being prepared. Know who that reporter is, 
know where they're coming from, take a look at their social media feeds so you get a sense of how they report the news. Are you seeing any obvious bias in their reporting? Because every tweet is a representation of how that reporter thinks, what they decide to share. And so that's really good intel before you go into an interview. And then obviously coming to the table, thinking through what questions you might get asked and how to best answer those. Julie, even being fully prepared for an interview, I'm sure you've received some negative or harsh criticism in your approach. How did you handle that? Sure. So part of my answer is going to go back to my answer to the first question, which is don't go into an interview blind. You need to know whenever possible, if you get into one of those situations where you've got a wall of cameras and reporters at a, at a breaking news scene, you're not going to get the opportunity. But whenever you have those one-off requests for interviews, really dig deep into who that person is and where they're coming from and the potential bias of the, of the organization that they're coming from. That intel will help prepare you, get, get your mind wrapped around what kind of interview this might be. Is this going to be an ambush style interview? Is this going to be the kind of interview where the reporter is looking to make a name for himself or herself? Is this going to be piling on to an already negative situation that you've had? Part of the decision about whether or not to grant an interview is, well, we've had experience with this reporter before. We know this reporter is not fair to our agency, that they come to any story with a particular bias or bent. So perhaps this reporter gets their questions answered in the form of a statement. And so even thinking about the kind of method that you use to give information to the media is important because not all reporters and not all media outlets are created equally. And so therefore, your response to them should also be weighed heavily as to exactly how you should respond. You touched on different types of methods to use with reporters. With that in mind, what do you think the biggest challenge is currently for police department public information officers? I would say, and I I work in this space and I'm friends and colleagues with with many people who do this. So I I know that I am biased about this. I would say they have one of the hardest jobs today. The level of hatred on social media is not something that you can easily brush off. If If your department is not in the spotlight for something that's gone wrong, whether it's your department's fault or not, but you are feeling the brunt of social media, that weighs on the person or the the people who are responsible for managing the department's brand, for managing that reputation. And the folks who do that job are so dedicated to it, to the cause. And that's why you'll find people working seven days a week while they'll be in line at the grocery store, checking Twitter to see what kind of response they're getting to their latest tweet. And why They literally lose sleep over a high-profile incident and how to properly manage it. 
there is a lot of negativity against law enforcement right now. No doubt about it. Everyone feels it. It's affected so many things to include recruiting, but understanding the audience where you serve and understanding where that negativity comes from is very eye-opening. Sometimes that negativity is from halfway across the country. And yes, you may have a Facebook post with let's say a hundred likes, but then you get 200 comments. And the majority of those comments, if you dig deep, are coming from outside your jurisdiction. They're from the East Coast or the West Coast or the Midwest or someplace where you are not. And so understanding literally where that negativity is coming from, but also figuratively, do you understand the the level of anger or hatred is it appropriate? Is there anything you can do about it? All of these things are issues that that police PIOs are are grappling with in 2021. Since you've brought up social media, let's switch from speaking in a media relations public setting to publishing information, say, on Facebook and Twitter. With your experience in active shooter situations, What would your direction be for law enforcement to posting on social media during an active shooter situation? That is a complex question that I will try to, I will try to simplify. And I, and I will say that I lived through a, an active shooter incident at our police headquarters uh, that resulted in the friendly fire death of one of our undercover officers. And it was one of the darkest days in our department's history. Um, It brings me chills right now talking about it. I've done many presentations about this subject for many FBI NA sessions. And what I will say that helped us get through that tragedy so well from the communications perspective is that we had years before this tragedy hit of working in social media and working with our, not only our DC media, but with national media. And so when that terrible, terrible day hit March 13th, 2016, we already had all of the policies and practices in place so that when that crisis occurred from the minute I got that text from the deputy chief of patrol saying that we had an active shooter at our headquarters and that we had um, an officer down. Um, I, I apologize. I've just got rolling waves of chills talking about this. We, we knew what to do. And we knew that communicating to the people who lived on that street where our headquarters was located in Prince George's County was the first and, and one of the most important things we could do right then, because this was an active shooter. This person was shooting at passing cars, pa- a passing ambulance into our police station. And so we told those residents to shelter in place. And we just started messaging as frequently as we could while ensuring that we were not tweeting out anything that could change. So tweet what won't change is one of my frequent mantras because you you may know a lot of things when when the tragedy hits when the crisis hits but it doesn't mean that you have to say all of those things that you think you know right then 
you can build your communications about this event one tweet at a time. And I keep referencing Twitter because Twitter really is the ideal social media platform to use when there is a crisis. I know a lot of departments across the country, their first choice for social media is Facebook. And I understand the reasons behind that, but I always encourage departments to get on Twitter as well, because when you have an unfolding situation that that could be over the course of 45 minutes or an hour, could be four hours, could be a day, whatever it is that you're dealing with, Twitter really is the appropriate platform to push out multiple messages. First of all, it's where journalists will go to take your message. And many, many community members of yours will use Twitter as a news feed. And so if you post to your Facebook page that you will be updating there rather infrequently and that they should turn to your Twitter feed to get the latest information, that's the course of action that I recommend. So one, don't go dark on social media when the crisis hits. That's the first place you should be messaging. And you can use social media to tell the media what it is they can expect of you. So give them a warning, say we're going to have a news briefing at the corner of First and Main at approximately two this afternoon. This is where you should park. This is where you should stage. This is where you should go. And then should that news conference time slide, you can use Twitter as a means to communicate. We're pushing back the news conference. We're hoping to be there in the next hour or so. Julie, for a final takeaway, what do you feel is the best way to positively shape the reputation of an agency during any type of communications with the public? I think it's important to know that whoever is in charge of your department's communications, your social media, media relations, what have you, that person who holds the phone or who holds the computer and is in charge of your username and password for your social media platforms, you need to have the utmost confidence in that person. That person needs to have emotional maturity. They need to be able to handle what's going to come at them at social media. And and I say that because it really can wear, it can really wear a person down. And the emotional maturity piece is that you will get all sorts of things said about you, thrown at you on social media. And if you're having a bad day, you don't want a person who is at the helm of your platforms to respond in a way that they shouldn't, that won't look professional for your organization. And even if we're not talking about a crisis, every Instagram post, every next door post, every tweet, whatever it is that your agency is is pushing out to the public to include a news conference that needs to be approached from the, from the PIO's perspective that we want the spelling to be right. We want the punctuation to be accurate. We want our visuals to look the best that we can. If we're showing one of our cruisers or we're showing some of our command staff, we want that cruiser clean. We want our command staff looking sharp. Everything you push out to the public is a representation of your brand and, and thinking about even the location of your news conference. Think about what's in your background because that sign behind you or, you know, ideally not this, but that 
porta potty that is off in the distance but but is behind you when you're holding a news conference all of those details will matter and and it shows the public that you're you're taking care of the the look and feel of your department and so i can't overemphasize the point that there's so much work involved in getting it done right and having your best possible team as a as your represent as your representatives is really important there are departments in the country where someone gets in trouble for something and they're sent to public information and what i always say about that is do you want your disgruntled employee responsible for your department's image and answering media calls about your department. Um, I would argue you want your best and your brightest in that, you know, whether it's a, a job for one, one PIO, or whether it's a bureau of 10, you want your, your best and brightest, if at all possible, in that space because law enforcement, media relations, and social media has become such a critical component of police work. I could not agree with you more, Julie. Thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us today. It was an absolute pleasure to be able to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I am sure a lot of our chapters would benefit from you speaking at an upcoming retrainer. To get in touch with Julie, please go to www.julieparkercommunications.com. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Leadership APB. Please be sure to join us on the first Wednesday of every month for the latest episode of our podcast series. Until then, please stay safe and be well.